Broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network, this is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Hello, welcome to this edition of Cultural Baggage. I'm building this show as I'm heading out the door to Bolivia. Let's hope it all comes through okay. Today we'll hear from the Reverend Eddie Lepp. We'll hear from uh, 2020 and their look at an injustice in the state of Texas. First up, Eddie Lepp. All right, once again, we're speaking with the Reverend Eddie Lepp. This time he has his wife, Linda, standing by. Uh, for those who may not know the history of your uh, your church and your uh, support of sacramental marijuana, let's start at the beginning. Tell us how this began and how it's developed. Actually, uh, my medicinal use of marijuana started back in Vietnam when I first started smoking it uh, to escape, you know, what was going on over there. And I didn't realize it at the time that, you know, in retrospect, it was medicinal. And then as I went through life, uh, my father dying of cancer, uh, we smoked incredible amounts of marijuana with him uh, just to get him to where he would drink his insure. Uh, you know, I'm sure that we added many days, if not weeks and months, to his life simply because we could keep him eating. And that was about 20 years ago uh, when I really understood the true medical benefits of it. And shortly after my father died, I met and fell in love with Linda. And shortly after we got married, uh, we got involved with Dennis Perone trying to get 215 on the books which we were successful in doing. And uh, right after that, uh, I became the first person arrested, tried, and acquitted uh, in California under 215, our Compassionate Use Act, or our marijuana law. And from there, uh, the phone started ringing off the hook. People started calling us, asking for help. You know, where do I find a doctor? Where do I find a lawyer? Where do I get this? Where do I do that? And back then, there was really nobody to help them. It's only been the last few years that Normal and Americans for Safe Access and these other organizations have published lists of dispensaries and attorneys and all of this kind of thing. So we've kind of let that part of what we do slip to the wayside. But in uh, 99, we started planting plants for patients that didn't have uh, land to plant their own on. And it just kind of grew and went from doing it for a few friends and family to where we were busted in 2004 and 2005 with a, a total approaching 50,000 plants. Uh, we planted 25 acres, uh, which had 32,524 plants on it uh, that they came in and uh, arrested me in uh, August of '04, And then they came in in... Uh, February of 05 and got us, I believe they said another 11,000, but I'm not sure exactly what their count is. And uh, we've been going to court for uh, over two years now, 
on the uh, uh, raids in 04 and 05. We were raided in 02. Uh, so they have a long history of attacking the church and the ministry. And finally, this last winter, we were blessed by Jaw to get the UDV decision, which is a decision over a church in Arizona with the Hiwaska Tea, which uh, is a uh, organic, it's plant juices, if you will. They, they get it from rendering plants and boiling the plants and mixing them together. And it's uh, basically the same as DMT. And uh, it's all completely and totally legal according to the decision handed down by the Supreme Court this last winter. And that was in a 9-0 decision that uh, you cannot interfere with the religious rights of, of the churches. And what they have to do is they have to prove their compelling interest. And compelling interest, by definition in this case, is they have to prove where my actions are a threat to the health and safety of the public in general, which they can't do. Uh, they proved in the UDV case that they cannot prove compelling interest uh, by of the church's actions as being a threat to the, the general health and safety of the, the general public. And comparing marijuana to that tea is like comparing ice water to battery acid. People can and do die from using that tea, and, and it can cause some severe problems and, and psychological problems that aren't associated with marijuana in any way, shape, or form. So we're certainly hoping that, you know, that the court system will see this and things will go our way. But it may never get to that because it looks like they're going to probably just dismiss everything uh, on the two warrants because both warrants were invalid on the face. So we'll see how that goes. But that's basically how we got here. Once again, we're speaking with Reverend Eddie Lepp. Uh, Eddie, you didn't hide these plants. You didn't uh, do the gorilla gardening. You oh, had no. these out beside the highway. Talk about that, please. Uh, actually, uh, we own 40 acres uh, on either side of Highway 20. Uh, 23 or 24 acres is on one side of the highway, and then the remainder is on the other. And uh, Highway 20, if you look at a map just north of San Francisco, is the main east-west connector for all of Northern California between Highway 5 and Highway 101 and Highway 1. And so it's a very, very, very heavily traveled road. It's, it's extremely busy, and the highway literally went through the middle of the garden. So it was highly visible from the highway. Everybody knew what we were doing. It was well advertised in magazines and newspapers and on TV. Everybody, you know, everybody knew what we were doing. Everybody knew we were a church. And according to the UDV decision, they can't just come in and whack our crop and arrest us. According to the UDV decision, they have to go into the civil courts and have a hearing in front of a judge and prove that my actions are a, a threat to public health and safety, which they didn't do any of that. So it looks like we're probably going to end up having some major lawsuits out of this and possibly the full and total legalization of marijuana and hemp as shortly as the next three to six months. Well, it's been to my great benefit to have met you and the Reverend Tom Brown uh, but you tell me you have your wife, Linda, standing by. Could we speak with her a moment? Yes, I'm right here. 
Hello. It's nice to meet you over the phone here. Uh, I, I want you to know how proud I am of the work I'm aware of that that your husband has done, but you have done much the same as well. Please, please tell us about your endeavors. Okay, what we've done is we have uh, issued a civil lawsuit against the federal government under our new ministry, which is the Multi-Denominational Ministry of Cannabis and Rastafari, and we are requesting an, a permanent injunction from the DEA to ever come here and get on to our property and our ministry again. And that should be starting to be heard sometime in December. Well, Linda, it, it, it's also my understanding that uh, the, the feds are looking at backing down from their stance taken. They, they might actually drop these charges. Uh, your thoughts, what will that do to cannabis ministry? It still leaves that hammer over our heads, does it not? Uh, no, because... I have started my own civil lawsuit, and they're going to have to answer it. If they can't answer the questions criminally and they refuse to do so, they're going to have to answer it civilly, but they're going to have to give us an answer once and for all. It, either you can use it religiously or you cannot. They're going to have to answer. If they refuse to do it in the criminal lawsuit against Eddie and they're going to just use the warrants and let everything go, then they still have to answer our church's uh questions and the judge is going to have to answer is it legal to use marijuana as a sacrament or is it not uh, well let's turn now to the reverend uh, uh tom brown okay let me get him for you just a second reverend brown if you will kind of uh you've associated yourself with uh the ministry there you're from uh is it arkansas well yes sir and and you have uh aligned yourself with the efforts there of uh, Reverend Lepp and his wife Linda. Your thoughts, sir, uh, tell us about our right to this sacrament. Uh, first of all, those of us who are veterans of the 12-step program know that we have a higher power which we can be in direct physical communication with and that the higher power helps us to overcome problems which we can't overcome on ourselves. Now, the higher power is also identified as the initiator or creator of the physical universe as we know it. And the higher power, having created the physical universe, uh, created marijuana plants and peyote plants and magic mushrooms and other things which we now know from scientific study, we know that these plants and mushrooms and stuff help us to actually have that direct personal physical relationship with our higher power, with the creative spirit. We must avail ourselves of that communication whether we accomplish that communication as the Creator designed it by using the plants or whether we have developed other artificial means, man-made means, to, to uh, facilitate that communication, we must be in communication with our higher power in the same way as a renter must be in communication with the landlord and sooner or later must be in communication with the architect uh, in order to understand the house that they live in, where the light switches are, where the plumbing 
uh, cutoffs are, where they can actually use the house that they've been renting uh, to live in. Now, you mentioned something that, uh, again, the scientific evidence is coming forward more and more all the time, that these, uh, that marijuana, that uh, the mushrooms, the cactus are beneficial for those with Alzheimer's, those with Parkinson's, those with post-traumatic stress disorder, and, and a host of other ailments. It is our, as you say, the light switches that help to maintain our body, that help us to, to persevere in this life. Um, tell us, if you will, Reverend Brown, give us y'all's website. There are two websites you might be interested in. The first website is eddiesmedicinalgardens.com. On the right-hand side of the screen, just down below where you can see on when you open the home page, just scroll down a little bit, you'll see the medical, the multi-denominational ministry for cannabis and Rastafari membership documents. That's our complete corporate setup, including a copy of the State of California Corporation Code, a copy of our Articles of Incorporation, Bylaws, and Policies and Procedures Manual, and a membership certificate for those who would wish, to, or a membership application for those who would wish to apply directly to us. We suggest that this information is invaluable. In fact, it's about $30,000 worth of legal work on that. That this information is free to all of those who would wish to set up their own churches. If they'll communicate with us what specific changes they would want to make, we can communicate with them as to whether or not those are legal issues or not. Uh, most of it isn't. Most of it is purely how the God of your understanding talks to you about how you should set up your church. The other set of documents you might be interested in are at www.firstchurchmagi. That's F-I-R-S-T. C-H-U-R-C-H-M-A-G-I, magi.org. Go to the documents section, D-O-C-U-M-E-N-T-S. That's listed at the top. And you can look at uh, both the First Church Magi corporate issues, a lot of Supreme Court law, and also law reviews, which will acquaint you with the basics for the religious defense going back to 1879. In addition, all of the documents relating to our injunction that we have filed for in federal court are listed in the multi-denominational Ministry of Cannabis and Rastafari injunction section, and you can find that under the document section at firstchurchmagi.org. All right, Reverend Brown, thank you so much. If you would uh, hand me back to uh, uh, Mr. Lepp. Uh, God bless you. Hold on just a second. Thank you, sir. Eddie, I, I see the uh, the turmoil going on in these states that are trying to uh, legalize one ounce of marijuana for adults, and they keep saying, oh, it's so many joints, it's a start of a, uh, a dealership, if you will, to have a full ounce. And I remember a phrase from the 70s. It goes, whether it's a seed, a plant, a pound, a ton, or a world full, it is our right to use this plant as sacrament. Uh, your closing thoughts, sir. Well, my closing thought on it is this. It's completely and totally legal in this country for each and every one of us. As far as it being a world full, once the world is full, the world will be a happy place because people quit trying to kill each other and start trying to sit down and figure out how to fix these problems. 
that are so hindering not just us but every country in the world if we weren't spending hundreds of billions on war we probably could fix this place but hemp is the solution it will keep us from drilling any more oil wells it'll keep us from cutting down any more forests so we can only you know hope and pray that all of you will join us in getting them to legalize the sacred plant how times change Twenty years ago, when Ronald Reagan reinvigorated the old Nixon drug war, reform was on the ropes. Politicians competed with each other to see who could sound tougher on the drug issue. Being called soft on drugs was practically an electoral death sentence. Demagogues on both sides of the aisle succeeded so spectacularly in demonizing drug use and drug users that even programs which would prevent addicts from spreading disease, such as clean needle exchanges, remain controversial to this day. In that 20 years, the number of drug arrests and drug offenders behind bars has skyrocketed, yet heroin, cocaine, and methamphetamine in the U.S. are more abundant, cheaper, and purer now than any time in the last 40 years. Reported drug use may be lower than it was in the late 1970s, a time when it looked like marijuana might be decriminalized federally, yet it's still at very high rates. Internationally, our drug wars have turned nations like Colombia, Mexico, and Afghanistan into corrupt, violent narco-states. Our emphasis on enforcement and eradication have succeeded in turning millions of poor peasant farmers against us, while our prohibition against some drugs gives revolutionary and terrorist groups a way to raise money. On Tuesday, November 7, Americans will cast final ballots in the 2006 general election. This election cycle, there are ballot measures in states and cities around the country to allow medical marijuana, to make the marijuana laws the lowest priority for law enforcement, or to legalize marijuana entirely for adults over age 21. Also this year, there are several serious pro-reform candidates running for state and federal office. Whether or not any of these efforts are successful this time is not important. After 20 years, the tide is finally turning. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org. Hello, I'm Don Daler. Welcome to 2020 In Touch, our new daily webcast. On Friday, during our two-hour look at privilege in all its forms, one of our stories focused on privilege in courts, and it evidently touched a lot of nerves. It brought up the question... Is justice sometimes a matter of who you know or who you don't? In our court system, we're all supposed to be equal under the law, but are we really? Here's Jim Avila with another look at privilege and justice, Texas style. WBAP, Fort Worth, Dallas. This is a story of privilege in a Texas court, where money and connections are not supposed to count, where we find one judge and two men from very different sides of the tracks who appear to get anything but equal justice. One man has been in prison 16 years and may never get out. And your sentence is? A life. So you've got a life sentence. How many people did you kill? I didn't kill nobody. This is the other man, Alex Wood. He did kill someone. But as you can see, he's not in prison despite several run-ins with the law and a dead man in his backyard. Dallas Morning News investigative reporter Brooks Edgerton knows the family history. Well, he comes from a moneyed family. His father used to be pastor of First Baptist Church in Waco. Um, First Baptist Church in Waco is not just the corner church, right? No, it's a big deal. This is one of the most prominent churches in the state of Texas. 
Not only is Alex's father, Reverend John Wood, religious royalty in Waco, he served on the board of one of the biggest universities in Texas and has a private big game museum in his house, recently featured in National Geographic magazine. The family has political clout too. Alex's brother-in-law is eight-term U.S. Congressman Chet Edwards. And Alex dabbles in an expensive hobby, breeding Egyptian pharaoh hounds. So how did this paragon of privilege get in trouble? It started when Alex Wood invited a 22-year-old male prostitute, Larry Clark, to his house as prosecutor Rick Jordan. They had sex there. Uh, Mr. Wood paid Mr. Clark, I believe it was $30. But Wood wanted a partial refund, and a fight broke out. Wood shot Clark and then called 911. Listen, there's been accidental shooting at my house. There's a guy injured, and he needs an ambulance, I think. He claimed self-defense, but there was one big problem with that story. The man was running away at the time. Exactly. His back was turned to Alex Wood. The autopsy shows he was shot from the back. Even with that evidence, Prosecutor Jordan felt compelled to cut Wood a deal after one dramatic day in court. The grand entrance of one of the most revered people in the city, family friend and pastor of the mega First Baptist Church of Dallas, O.S. Hawkins, seen here in a church video. He'd be a critical character witness for Alex Wood. There were about three women who sat on the front row of the jury. And when O.S. Hawkins came in, it was like they wanted to crawl over the rail and just kiss the ring. It was that type of presence when he walked in the courtroom. Alex Wood agreed to plead guilty to murder in return for a light sentence of 10 years probation, a free man if he stayed clean. This man, Judge Keith Dean, approved the plea. That was a very good outcome for him. He got a good deal. Now to the other side of the tracks and lifer Tyrone Brown. His background could not be more different. The second oldest of five children, none of whom finished high school. Tyrone's mother says he was beaten by his father so badly as a boy, he was put into foster care for a while. This is where Tyrone lived. This was his church. How about your church? Could they help you out? But they ain't with no big old church. It was just a little, just a little small Baptist church. Do you know anybody famous that could help you out? I ain't never met nobody famous. That's who Tyrone is. Here is what he did. When he was 17, he and a friend waited outside of Dallas Bennigan's for someone to rob. They found a man walking home alone in the dark and put a gun to his face. First thing he did was say, give me your wallet. I only had two bucks in my wallet and I might have had a little bit of change in my pocket. 2020 tracked down the victim, Bill Hathaway, who told us he hadn't thought much about the crime until lately, but does remember Tyrone gave him his wallet back. I mean, it's a serious crime, I and mean, it's an armed robbery. But sure. you weren't hurt. Nope. You got your wallet back right away. Right. And the same night, you got your $2 back. Correct. It really wasn't that big of a deal. Tyrone Brown pled guilty, and that same Judge Dean gave the teenager 10 years probation, just like Alex Wood. Two men, same sentence. But that's where the story takes a surprising turn. It's what happens next that no one can fully explain. Because while on probation, both men break the law and must face Judge Keith Dean again. Only this time, they do not get the same sentence. Alex Wood's privileged life continues. Despite being caught at least twice with cocaine, Wood remains free. His supervision is not even tightened. In fact, he is given even more privileges. 
allowed by Judge Dean to contact probation officers by mail. Once a year, you send a postcard to the judge and say, here's my address, here's what I'm doing. There was other alarming behavior. Dog trainer Margaret Worth, a former friend, says Wood terrorized her over who owned one of the prize puppies. He took a hammer and smashed the storm door, and he unlocked the door, and he broke into the house. Worth reported it to police, but decided not to press charges when Wood's dad intervened, she says, promising her the pup and no more trouble from his son. Yeah, daddy called and fixed the whole deal. Nothing happened to him. He's completed his probation, and so he has no conviction on his record. And he's free to this day? He is free. I went to Wood's house on a quiet street in Waco to ask him how a guy in so much trouble stayed out of prison. Congratulations on successfully finishing your probation. But he was camera shy. From ABC. We want to talk to you for a moment, can we? By phone, Wood told us he's glad he could afford good attorneys. Tyrone Brown was not so lucky. He settled for a court-appointed lawyer. Like Wood, Brown did violate his probation within a few weeks of his sentence, but not with cocaine. What'd you do? Well, I had uh, smoked a joint. You heard right, one joint. Not nearly as serious as the cocaine Alex Wood was caught with. Typically, your first time that you test positive for smoking marijuana while you're on probation uh, is something that is noted in the record, and that's about it. Not this time. Not in Judge Keith Dean's court. I read Tyrone the transcript of his sentencing. I have the words here. The judge says, you shall be confined for life. Did you hear those words? Do you remember those words? I mean, I caught the life for, you know, <laughs> but uh, that's about it. And then he said, good luck, Mr. Brown. Yes. Do you remember that? By then, I was in shock. When he said life and down, I like, my mind just shut down. Oh, I miss him terribly. Tyrone's mother, Nora, got a chilling phone call. Her son would not be coming home for dinner, ever. Mama, he said they gave me life. And, and I mean, I just, who Jesus. I just started crying, you know, and I started screaming. And I, I said, baby, how can they give you life? What did they give you life for? For what? No one, not the reporter who uncovered it. I don't know to, to this day why these cases turned out so differently. Not the prosecutor assigned to Judge Dean's court. It's just mind-boggling. And perhaps most important, not even the victim of the crime had heard of such a harsh sentence. Life for smoking marijuana, that's just, I think that was just a little bit much. Keith Dean is considered a good and respected judge, up for re-election for the fifth time. 2020 tried to talk to him at a candidate forum. The Code of Judicial Conduct just says I can't talk about any case at any point. Actually, what the code says is a judge is not allowed to talk about pending or impending cases. Show me here in this code where it says you can't talk. So he went to a second candidate event so he could explain. I would be talking about a, a case that is in the court if I talked about it at all. It's not in court. He's in jail. Well, He's in prison. I understand what you're saying, but... He's exhausted all of his appeals. He has no motions in front of you. I just can't talk about it. The law won't let me talk about it. And I understand that you think that I can, but I just can't. I'm not allowed to. If I could, I would. Does this case trouble you at all? Do you have any trouble sleeping knowing that this man is in prison for the rest of his life, has been there in jail for 16 years for smoking one joint, while this other man with privilege and contacts and money violated at least twice with cocaine and never spent a day in jail? 
both of them in front of your court? I understand you'd like me to comment on it, but I'm just not allowed to. The judge is wrong, according to the executive director of the State Commission on Judicial Conduct, who told 2020 it may be the judge's personal preference not to explain his ruling, but there is nothing in the law or judicial code that prohibits him from talking. Go ahead and turn around and put your hands through the slot. So Tyrone Brown is left to wonder why he got life, while a murderer still has his freedom, and the man responsible for both decisions. I'm Keith Dean. I'm judge of the 265th Felony Criminal Court. Thank you. Has nothing to add to those final words he said to Tyrone. Good luck, Mr. Brown. That's it. I'm headed to Bolivia. And as always, I remind you, because of drug prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag. Please be careful. Wish me luck. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guffey, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth, the show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Jap dancing on the edge of the <laughs>